I have a question for us this morning. Have you ever been asked to do something that you didn't feel properly equipped to do? Have you ever been asked to do something that you didn't feel properly equipped to do? Uh, Some of you know that I've framed houses for a number of years, and I can clearly remember my first day on a framing site. And the night before, I'd called my boss, my, who I hadn't even met yet, and I said to him, you know, you know, I'm showing up tomorrow, what tools do I need to bring to build houses? And he said, well, what tools do you have? I was like, well, I've been doing some renovations, so I have like a little finishing hammer and a few other things, a little tool pouch. He said, just bring what you have. So I show up on site with my finishing hammer and my tool pouch and And he's asking me to do these jobs, and I'm quickly realizing that the tools I have are not the tools that I need for me to get the job done. And very quickly, in the context of this framing crew, I felt out of place. I felt like everyone else had it figured out, and I did not. And I desperately wanted to just run to Home Depot and purchase all the right tools so that I could do the job properly. What's interesting when I think about this, I could parallel it to my Christian life. You know, when I look at God's word, and I read about all the things that God's calling me to, when when I think about the things that he wants to do in me, when I think about the things that God might want to do through me, the impact that he might want to make in other people's lives through me, I can look at my life and feel like I'm not equipped for the job. (laughs) That I don't have what it takes. You know, God has invited you and I to walk with him. That is one of our mission statement, part of our mission statement here at TCC, to know Jesus, to walk with Jesus, to share Jesus. But even as we reflect on that mission, I think it's easy for us to feel like that's a great mission, that's a great idea, but I don't really feel like I know what to do. I don't really feel like I know how to do that. Well, in our new series, we're looking at what we're calling ordinary people. And this morning, we're talking about Moses. Now, you might be thinking, Moses? Moses is not in any way an ordinary person. Moses confronted Pharaoh. Moses brought all these plagues on Egypt. Moses led the people of Israel out of slavery into the wilderness. Moses delivered the law of God. He was not ordinary. But friends, I think it's so easy for us to forget that Moses, who was in his 80s, let's remember this, Moses was in his 80s, an 80-year-old man, before he did any of what I just mentioned, Moses was a shepherd in Midian. He was a shepherd, a farmer, living out in the wilderness all by himself with his family. In a lot of ways, we could probably relate to him. There was something ordinary about him. So how did Moses go from tending the sheep to walking with God in this faithful, powerful way that led to something extraordinary? How did Moses go from standing there with the shepherd's staff to leading the people of God? Well, this morning I want us to go to the mountain where Moses was called. Exodus chapters 3 and 4. And I believe that at, at this mountain, you know, God called Moses to something. And friends, God calls us to something. 
And at the core of what God was calling Moses to was this invitation. At the core of this invitation, God was saying to Moses, will you follow me? Will you follow me? That invitation is very similar to us. Whether you are a Christian or a non-Christian, God's voice is coming to us asking that we would follow him. Let's pick up in, in this chapter 3, verse 7 to 10. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. And God says to Moses, come and I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, to the children of Israel, out of Egypt. What's God saying? He's saying, Moses, come follow me. I want to lead my people out of Egypt, and I want to use you to do it. So at the core of this invitation was the words, Moses, will you follow me? Perhaps at that thought, you and I might protest. We might get fearful. We might wonder, how in the world could we make a difference? How can we be people who, who know Jesus, walk with Jesus, and share Jesus in any way that is significant? How can we live for God in a culture that seems so opposed to Him? How can we be obedient to God's Word in a culture, in a world where, where they're telling us that this is just outdated, that it's unnecessary? Or, or when God is leading us to maybe tell someone else about him, to, to share our faith with someone else, we might get overwhelmed and say, God, I, I don't know how to do that. But friends, I think what we learn from these chapters of Moses' calling is that we can live for God in extraordinary ways as we walk with him who is with us and working through us. We can live for God in extraordinary ways as we walk with him who is with us and who is working through us. It's about walking with him. It's about following his lead. Now something I absolutely love about these chapters is what we have recorded for us is a conversation between God and Moses. And like any conversation, there's a back and, there's a back and forth, right? And just like you or me, Moses has some questions for God. And I think we can learn from those questions this morning. I've identified four questions. And I, I believe that as we look at these questions, we can use them to evaluate our own hearts and learn from them as we consider how we can be people who faithfully live for God, who faithfully follow Him. Well, the first question emerges for us from Exodus chapter 3, uh, verse 11. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Who am I? Our first question from Moses in response to God saying, Moses, come and follow me. Is Moses saying, God, who am I? It's a good question. It's easy for you and I to ask this question. Who am I, Lord, that I could follow you in a way that makes a difference in the world? Who am I that I could share my faith? Who am I that I could lead others? Moses immediately fixes on all of his insufficiencies and his inadequacies. 
He looks in the mirror and he doesn't see an amazing leader. He doesn't see someone God can use. He sees a shepherd with a staff. But what does God say back to Moses? Well, we pick that up in verse 12. God said, but I will be with you. But I will be with you. Do you notice that God's answers to Moses isn't like, hey Moses, you know what? You're a pretty great guy. You're you're pretty good looking. Like People are going to look at you and say, that's a guy I want to follow. God doesn't say that. God doesn't reassure Moses saying that, you know what, Moses, it's okay. We'll get you in shape. We'll get you better at public speaking. We'll, we'll make this work. No. God says to Moses, what's significant about who you are, Moses, is that you are someone who has me. I will be with you. You've got me with you. There's a story of a, a man who owned a Model T Ford car. And he's taking this car out on the highway, and he's driving this, this car down the highway, and he's loving life, you know, he's driving this car, he's passionate about this car, he loves this car. Suddenly the car breaks down. Oh, shoot. So he jumps out, pulls back the, the hood of the engine. I think it was like a flap, right? He like lifts this flap, and he's like working on the engine. Nothing is working. He's going on and on trying. Nothing's working. Well, suddenly a limousine pulls up next to him. And this old man gets out of the limousine and walks over to the guy who's working on the car. And the guy who's working on the car is kind of like, like, hey, like, what's going on? And the old man says, hey, have you tried adjusting this part on the engine? The guy's like, well, I've tried everything else. I guess I'll try this. So he makes a little adjustment, fires up the car. The car comes back to life. And he looks at this old man, he says, how did you know what to do? And the man looks at him and says, well, my name's Henry Ford. I invented this car. That guy on the side of the road suddenly was able to overcome this obstacle. He was able to figure out what was wrong, not because of something he had inside of himself, but because suddenly he had the designer of the car right there with him. His ability to get his car back on track going down the highway was only because of who came to be with him. He wasn't a master of the Model T. Henry Ford was. You and I, when we ask the question, who am I? We are people who have God because of what Jesus has done. God is walking with us in our lives if only we will turn to him and follow him. God's presence is with us. And when we come up against these things in life, it's, it's not that we look inside of ourselves for help, but rather we look to the author and the creator of life who knows exactly how to adjust the engine to make things work. And that's who we are, friends. We're people who have God. Well, the conversation keeps going. We pick up in verse 13. Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? Well, from these verses, I think we get this question of, well, who is God? Who are you, God? 
Now, this is an appropriate question for Moses because Moses grew up in Egypt. He understands the Egyptian concept of God. And in Egypt, they had many, many gods, much like we do today. We don't have these idols crafted or these temples we go to worship, although you could argue that we do. They just look a little different. But Egypt worshipped many, many gods. And the whole idea was that there'd be something in creation or something around you that you'd identify that you wanted to control. And so you would craft a god in your own image, in your own thinking of what this god would be like. And then you would worship that god in order to control this thing that you wanted controlled. So you had this idol worship that was happening in Egypt. In Egypt, there was tons and tons of gods. So for Moses to say, well, what's your name? He's saying, well, well, God, there's lots of gods out there. So which one are you? Well, the answer from God is quite profound. God answers back. God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, that I am has sent me to you. I am who I am. It's from this phrase that we get the name of God, Yahweh. Yahweh. The I am who I am. And what's so cool about this name, this is God saying that whatever I am, I will be consistently. He's basically saying to Moses, I am not one of those gods from Egypt. Those gods from Egypt were crafted in the minds of men. But I crafted these men. The gods of Egypt will be ever-changing and ever-shifting based on your perception of them. But I am a God who is unchanging. I am who I am. I will be who I will be. You and I take comfort from this as we read God's word. Because when the Bible says that God is loving, the fact that he is the I am means that he is consistently and completely and wholly loving. That is unchanging. When God says that he is merciful, it means that he is completely merciful. That that is unchanging. It is part of his nature. He is the I am. Friends, it's so easy for us in church to have all the right answers about God. We sing God's songs, we sing songs about God's faithfulness, about his love, about his character. But it's so easy for us to sing those songs, but then to live our lives as if we don't think that any of that's true. It's easy for us to sing about God's faithfulness, but then live in fear and not even pray or cry out to God when our situations and circumstances in life are not going the way that we think they should. But friends, the I am is forever faithful. A man from church history, George Mueller, you've probably heard of him. George Mueller started many uh, different orphanages, and there's, there's this amazing story that is told in his biography about George Mueller um, needing to provide breakfast for this group of orphans, but they had no food. The, the cups and the bowls on the table are empty, but he still calls all the kids. He tells them to take a seat at the table, and George Mueller prays, and he thanks God for what he is going to provide. Now, you and I would think he's absolutely crazy. <laughs> George Mueller, there's no food. Well, the story goes on that as soon as he said amen, there's a knock at the door. And a baker is at the door and he says to George Mueller, you know, George, I was up all night 
And I just felt like, for some reason, like you guys didn't have food. So I got up at 2 a.m. I started baking bread. And I, I brought that bread to the orphanage this morning. So the kids had bread. Well, not a moment later, another knock on the door. A man who delivers milk, his milk cart had broken down. And he says to George Mueller, Hey, would you guys take and drink some of the milk off the cart? If I can offload the milk, then I can hoist the cart up and and be able to fix it. But I thought you guys would benefit from the milk this morning. So that morning, the kids had fresh bread and milk for breakfast. George Mueller believed that God was the I am who said he would provide. And he acted on that belief. We need to be ever growing in our understanding and our experience of who God is. This question of of who is God is an incredibly important question. A.W. Tozer says it is the most important question we will ever ask of ourselves. And as we look to God's word, we continue to learn and grow about who he is and put into action the things that we learn. And Moses had a lot to learn about who God was. This in no way was the end of this part of the conversation for him. Well, the conversation continues. We'll jump down to chapter 4. The fan keeps changing the page of my Bible. Um, Exodus chapter 4, verse 1. Moses answers to God, But behold, they will not believe me Or listen to my voice, for they will say, the Lord did not appear to you. Now, I love this statement. And I believe that in this statement, the question we get is, how will I do this? You know, it's like Moses saying, okay, God, you've called me to follow you. That's great. I'm starting to see who you are. I'm starting to understand it. But God, when I look at all that I need to do to do the things that you're calling me to follow you in, God, I don't know how I'm going to do this. Perhaps you've asked a similar question to God. God, I I see what you're calling me to in your word, but I don't know how I'm going to do this. God's answer to Moses is so, so profound. Because again, instead of God pointing to something in Moses, he says to him, Moses, what's in your hand? What's in your hand, Moses? And I could just picture Moses not even realizing he had his staff with him, right? It's just always there. It's in my hand, Lord. Well, a staff. A staff's in my hand. And God said, throw it on the ground. Moses throws the staff on the ground. And he watches it turn into a serpent. And God goes on to tell him how with that staff, it's going to do amazing things. Friends, God pointed to something ordinary and familiar. The staff in Moses' hand. And I I really feel like, in my own life anyway, when, when I start thinking about the things God has called me to, and I start focusing on this question of how am I going to do this, I start thinking about all the things I need. I need to read this book. I I need to learn this thing. I need to attend this seminar. I need to get better. I need to get stronger. I need to get faster. But God is saying to us, 
What's in your hand? What's in your hand? Some of you will remember back in April um, when the coronavirus was kicking off, uh, Jason Kenney addressed our province and he kicked off this program he called the Bits and Pieces program. And the Bits and Pieces program was a plea to the people of Alberta. And Jason Kenney said, look guys, we're headed into an unknown scary time. We need your help. And he asked people to give what they were able to give. Some people started making masks. Some distilleries started producing hand sanitizer. Um, Atco donated a whole bunch of trailers to be used as testing facilities. Um, and we, we hear about all these amazing stories. Ikea donating all sorts of PPE uh, to, to different frontline workers. And we watched the province respond to the call of Jason Kenney by bringing them what they had in their hand. Well, it makes sense for us to respond instinctively to a crisis in such a way. And and we should respond to a crisis like that in such a way. But friends, let us not grow complacent in responding to the work that God has called us to do. Let us not grow complacent in responding to the work that God has called us to do. God has called us to follow him. We might wonder about how we're going to do that. But God is saying to us, what's in your hand? I brought my box of things that might be in your hand. Well, some of us just have really big hearts. You have a heart for people. You love people. You care about people. God might be calling you to just use that big heart of yours to reach out to someone with a text message or an email or go visit them and and just show them love. Represent the love of God to them with your big heart. Others of us, well, along with our big hearts, we might have hands that are willing to get to work, to do some practical things for people. You know, Jesus went around declaring the kingdom of God He went around helping those who couldn't help themselves or were having difficulties. And in so many cases, he reached out and he healed them. Friends, our hands as well can be used by the glory of God to bring change to people's lives. Others of us, maybe we find ourselves in an office setting, sitting in front of a computer all day, typing away, running reports, accounting, whatever it is. That job that you have, those co-workers who are around you, that is a part of what is in your hand. It's a part of what God has given you. You have the opportunity in your office to work for the glory of God, to see those around you as people who you can show God's love to, as people you can help. Others, maybe your leaders, your managers, you have people who work under you. Maybe you're a teacher in a classroom, but you have a voice in the lives of other people. That's what God has put in your hand. How do you use it to his glory? How do you open your mouth? How do you write reports? How do you do whatever it is you do in a way that communicates the love of God? Some of us, God has just really blessed financially. 
You know, we have our debit cards. And our debit cards can be, be used in so many different ways. But if God has blessed you with financial resources, if he's blessed you with means, how might you use those means to respond to the leading of God? Well, this is a framing hammer. (laughs) It's not quite like a finishing hammer. It's a little different. I wore this framing hammer in my pouch for over four years. And this was something that God had put in my hand for a season. And I can remember so clearly a sunny afternoon on a roof in Calgary, working with one of my co-workers. He starts asking me questions about my faith. Starts asking me questions about why don't I swear? Why do I carry myself the way that I do? And in that season of life, working in the trades was what God had put in my hands. And that conversation with that individual led to us meeting for coffee um, after work several evenings. And we just went through the Gospel of John together. And I can remember so clearly the day that he said to me, he's like, Adam, every morning I get up and I pray that God's Spirit would empower my life. And my jaw almost hit the floor. I was like, what? And he goes on to tell me about his faith in Jesus. And he thanks me for the time I'd spent with him. But friends, I could have looked at my job and said, that's just my job. That's just framing. But God wanted to use that in my life and in his. Well, this fourth question that we have from this text is chapter 4 verse 10 conversation continues and this might anticipate a lot of what you're thinking right now (laughs) but Moses said to the Lord my Lord I'm not eloquent either in the past or since you've spoken to your servant but I am slow to speech and of tongue (laughs) what's Moses doing here again It's pointing back to his insufficiencies. His question, what about my insufficiencies? That's the fourth question. What about my insufficiencies? Friend, a question I often hear people say in in our day and age is this, this idea of, well, you know, if you're struggling, if you're feeling insufficient, you just need to look inside yourself. You know, just just look deep inside yourself. You'll find the strength that you need or whatever it is. But when I look inside myself, I don't know about you, like Moses, I just become overly aware of all the things that I'm not good at. I become overly aware of my insufficiencies. We get to verse 11 in this conversation as God replies. He says, And the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Again, pointing us back to Yahweh, this God who is unchanging. Friends, our insufficiencies as Christians are a very important thing because they are an invitation to us to look beyond our limitations to the help of God and the help of others. Our insufficiencies are not something that we need to push down and ignore and say, no, I'm going to be stronger, I'm going to be better. That's not the Christian message. That's not what the Bible's about. 
In fact, the Bible tells us a story of the fact that you and I are all insufficient. And that there's actually nothing you can do to overcome those insufficiencies in the eyes of God. Did you know that? That's what the Bible teaches us. There's nothing you and I can do to overcome our insufficiencies in the eyes of God. Friends, that's why Jesus came. So when we feel insufficient, God comes to us and he reminds us, I made you. I sent my son to die for you. And you're right, you are insufficient. But follow me. Trust me. Allow me to do something in you that only I can do. In addition to this, God has blessed Moses with Aaron. We go on to read in this section that Moses brings alongside, uh, sorry, God brings alongside Moses, his brother Aaron. And they minister together. They do this thing together. I think we miss that sometimes in this story, that Moses was not a lone ranger. He was partnered in ministry with his brother Aaron. So too, as you and I are called in this radical way to follow God, as we follow him in our workplaces, as we follow him in our day-to-day lives, we don't have to do that alone. We can do that with others. This is a picture we get in the New Testament of the body of Christ coming together. So there you have it. Four questions. Who am I? Who is God? How will I do this? What about my insufficiencies? If you find yourself asking these questions, you are in good company. Moses brought these questions to God. And God's answer was an invitation for Moses to walk with him, to trust him, to take what God had put in his hands and be faithful before God with those things. So let us consider this morning how God may want to work in us and through us, using what's in our hands to bring him glory. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the story of Moses. And God, the beginning of this story, it uh, it tells us about this 83-year-old shepherd who's just standing there with his shepherd's staff, and you're saying to him, I want you to come follow me and do something pretty extreme. Oh Lord, much like Moses, we can have protests to you wanting to lead us in certain directions. But Lord, help us to see the things you've put in our hands as opportunities for us to serve you and show us, show you our love and to serve those around us in love. God, we pray that you would lead us. We pray that you would lead us, Lord, and as we trust in you, as we follow you, God, we pray that you would take what's in our hands and and do something amazing with it. Jesus' name. Amen.